0: Welcome back to episode number 189 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. Today's episode, we have Will Downing on, and I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and we're discussing insurance considerations in facilities handling or generating combustible dust. Will, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast.
1: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited to have Will on. He's a, a commercial risk advisor at Capri CMW, which is an insurance brokerage, and he personally is based out of Kelowna, British Columbia. As you'll hear, that is not necessarily his his native country, which we we may get into at some point, uh, because he has a a nice British accent. But we're talking about an important topic here in terms of insurance considerations. Given that Will is a, a commercial risk advisor, that he works with insurance brokerage, gives a really interesting insight into the combustible dust industries that support folks that are in industries handling combustible dust. Will and I had some back and forth discussing combustible dust a few months ago. And More importantly, he shared some case studies with me um, that's kind of kind of framed the content that we're talking about today. So he shared case studies called Wood Product Manufacturers, Three Ways to Reduce Your Insurance Premiums. To talked about from a combustible dust perspective, what some of the aspects around insuring facilities that handle combustible dust look like, and what some of the things that facilities themselves can do to lower their premiums or even... You know, make their policies better. He actually also shared a a case study called "Wood Product Manufacturer Success Stories" from 2021 that highlights with real numbers using um, client A and client B as they're they're aptly named here what that looked like in terms of actually applying these type of concepts. And when Will shared these case studies with me, I was really excited because this type of educational material just isn't available broadly for folks in industries handling combustible dust. It's really important for the end users. It's also really important for the consultants that are working with them, government regulators, and a number of other folks to understand how the things that we're doing, the hazard analysis we're applying, the protection methods and things that we're putting in place, management systems, how that's all going to affect the the bottom line when it comes to insurance and also in coverage. And there's just not much information available. I was pretty excited about the case studies and uh, asked Will if he'd come on the podcast to talk through them and he graciously accepted. So, I'm going to let Will give some of his background on on what he does in the industry, Then we're going to talk about these case studies and specifically what strategies should companies take when working with their insurance providers, how will these strategies affect their policies and premiums, walk through an example of case studies, and how the requirements from insurance might be similar or different than other AHJs that have um, authority over the, the operation of the companies that they'll be working with. So, it's a a whole mouthful. It's going to be a great interview. And again, I thank Will for coming on. So, I think the best place to jump in is just can you kind of explain your role today and and what you do with industry?
1: Yeah, sure, Chris. Um, What an intro. Um, Okay. So, my role as a, a commercial insurance broker is to essentially source the best insurance coverage and premiums available to clients and businesses. I specialize within the forestry sector. Or commercial insurance, but with a specific focus on wood product manufacturers, and that kind of would would sort of fall into a brief sort of uh, industries. It would include sawmills, remand facilities, pallet manufacturers, plywood manufacturers, pallet manufacturers. But I also look after some of the, the forestry side of things, so just logging uh, and silviculture operations as well. But a large part of my area and focus is with the manufacturers, and we help them from commercial insurance perspective so sourcing their property coverage their liability uh, their inventory uh, some of the business interruption that would would be needed if there's any you know significant losses and then really th- that's kind of in a nutshell what we'll do from an insurance perspective but we've seen or I've seen anyway a, a big opportunity within the wood product manufacturing space to Help the manufacturers improve their insurance situation from a from a coverage perspective and also from a premiums perspective. So the money they're going to be spending on their insurance. The you know the history of wood product manufacturers with insurance hasn't been great. I think you've touched on the losses from 2012, the Babine and the, the Lakeland Mills. And that was a big I don't know, a big time, a big turning point for insurance carriers. They saw these big uh, explosions, large losses. I think each one was around anywhere between 50 to 100 million loss for an insurance carrier to potentially be paying out. And um, yeah, it resulted in a lot of change. And so that change meant that the risk management requirements of uh, manufacturers was increased. The, The standard got raised. So that insurance carriers feel more comfortable to provide them coverage, and what that's led to now is having really a, a need for specialist insurance brokers that understand the business and the risks and what insurance carriers actually need, as opposed to a generalist. So for the last uh, couple of years now, I've just been specialising in, in this area with uh, product manufacturers and kind of forestry space, and. Yeah, as you mentioned, we've had some really great success in uh, helping some clients out. And yeah, essentially that's, that's where, that's, that's kind of my role and, and what, what we're looking to do and Im- improve the the situation.
0: Yeah, it, make, it makes a lot of sense to me. And like I kind of said at the outset, I do see Capri CMW as, you know, providing pretty forward thinking information. I'm going to get to why on that in a second, or at least ask you, ask you why, um, but I'll, I'll give some information that comes in these two case studies and you can download the case studies. They're on the Capri CMW website. We'll have links to them there. They're also ways just to download the PDFs if we can at dustsafetyscience.com slash 189 for this episode. Uh, But a couple notes, you mentioned Babine and Lakeland Mills in the, the three ways to reduce your insurance premiums. It does say here each one of these over 40 people injured job losses of industry veterans, lengthy investigations, class action, lawsuit, all sort of included under the umbrella of those two major loss incidents, and estimated cost insurance carries anywhere between twenty-five to hundred million for just one of these claims. And I had a really interesting discussion with another individual involved in the insurance industry, maybe about maybe about three weeks ago. We had a I had a phone call just discussing, and and he had he had reached out through our help desk to to ask a question, and we connected with a few people to figure that out. But I, I kind of posed the question: Why does insurance seem to care more about combustible? us these days like there's this perception that that it's that they are an hj in a lot of cases they are in terms of ones that can drive change and have you know jurisdiction over over operations enough to facilitate change and he said it's just because the losses have been so high there's a real fear that if you are a carrier that has one two or three losses in a given year you know 50 million 100 million 150 million if those start to stack up and then then that's a real challenge. And, and what that means is there's, there's more financial risk to the insurance carrier. And I kind of said that's almost a, a good thing in a way in terms of us in the combustible dust safety space. Because that means it's not just like a, a fad. There's actual real risk, real financial risk in, in the insurance side, which is driven by the real actual risk of, of incidents happening. that means it's not going to go away until we fix it. (laughs) So increased premiums will happen. You know, we'll have to get more specialized folks in like yourself that are dealing with individual sectors that are dealing with individual types of hazards and, and navigating that space. And hopefully then we'll all drive towards a, you know, a safer workspace afterwards. So that's a little bit of background that I bring in from some of these discussions I've having from insurance carriers. I do before we jump into the case studies, Will. Any 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 other takeaways from that sort of lengthy story that I told about this other conversation? You know what's driving combustible dust because you're you're in the midst of it as far as I can tell. You're the one that's pointing the pointy end of the spear doing the work on these observations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the at the end of the day, you're, you're you're right. An insurance carrier is there to to make a profit. You know, so they look to collect premiums and then pay out any losses that are needed. But back in 2012, when with those two large sort of high-profile losses uh, happened, uh, there were many others in and around um, that time as well. There was a company called LUA, which is Lumberman's um, Underwriting Alliance, which was dedicated to writing uh, insurance for wood product manufacturers. That's all they did as an insurance carrier. And because of the losses were just so high they actually exited the Canadian market totally there was a bit of a bad situation for those that were involved because they got told yeah there's a, a non-renew at renewal they weren't profitable actually they were making significant losses so they had to exit it and then there have been other carriers that have tried to create a program in and around this since 2012 uh, come um, but haven't managed to make it profitable for it to be sustainable long-term and there's I I feel there's a combination of factors that are involved but one of the ones is that underwriters were taking on risks that might not necessarily have been managed um, well enough and just you know you could have two or three of those large losses and uh, very quickly uh, insurance companies are not making money uh, they're 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 shelling out a lot of money in that industry sector. So it does come down to insurance carriers being profitable, and then so what we're trying to do is essentially present solutions because insurance carriers will say we we don't want to take on a a manufacturer that has a, a dust exposure unless they're meeting certain standards. Insurance carriers have their own engineering department and teams that sometimes they may send them out to the site or they'll review a third party risk inspection report that will come through and whether or not they're happy with the standard of the facility will basically determine whether or not they will take that on Um, or it will determine how much they charge you for um, the premium on it. So it it is a a bit of a a tricky space. I'm probably losing sight of where the actual question started. I'm just (laughs) a little bit here, Chris, but It is important for manufacturers to show to insurance carriers that they are now, uh, whether it be well managed from a housekeeping perspective, um, they have all the, the, the policies, the procedures, the protocols in place, whether that be from simple things from onboarding employees, what type of training are they going through? Uh, If they're sort of more of the operational department, what does that actually look like? Have you got an effective onboarding program? What does that uh, training manual look like? Are they really getting exposed to all the hazards that the facility does have? And that type of thing, there's there's many other items which we'll probably touch on throughout, um, but really they're now, uh, insurance carriers are really being very selective on on who they want to insure. And uh, that's, that's where we're at with the industry, I guess, from an insurance perspective.
0: Makes a lot of sense to me. And there's a whole bunch of really good points there. Uh, you, you illustrated with your example of LUA, you know, the real impact of, we'll, we'll say, getting it wrong from an insurance perspective. <laughs> there's there's a real impact to the workers, to the community, to the lives lost, to the families as well. But there's also real impact from a, a business perspective on the insurers, and that's kind of a core driver. Um, we're going to get into what are some of these strategies that folks can employ, but I do appreciate you giving that that background, that context, because there is maybe a perception out there. I don't know. We we talked about it before the call that it's kind of like a black box how insurance works. I'd say there's also like a black box that insurance the the folks involved just know all the answers too, and it's 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 good to know you know that it's it's developing over time, the same as the community is developing, same as awareness developing and that's all part of this kind of story that, that we're working on together. You, you mentioned a number of things here about why Capri CMW seems to be forward-thinking. Is, this, is there anything else? Like My question that I had in the, the line here was where does that forward-thinking position come from and why is it important to the team there, including yourself? I think you've already probably highlighted all of that, but I would give a little space if there's anything else that kind of makes sense to slot in there in terms of, of why it's important for you folks.
1: I think it came because I started working with a couple of manufacturers. And when they were talking about their insurance premiums rising and increasing, you know, 50, 100% over a two, three, four year period, I had asked them, you know, what have they done about it? And there, there was sort of almost a, a blank answer. It wasn't really,
0: you can't do anything, can yeah. you? With insurance. <laughs> it <laughs> There's was insurance. nothing to do.
1: <laughs> it was sort of like, what do you mean? What have we done about it? And so, I was shocked. I was like, well, if you improve your risk management, because insurance carriers say we only want to write the best type of risks that are out there in the market. Well, if we can improve the risk management from uh, an operational perspective, uh, and that can be all manner of things from how, um, you know, from a housekeeping perspective, uh, not just doing it, but are you documenting it? Are you uh, documenting all the near misses or um, any workplace injuries? Uh, do you how do you store all of the the lumber in the yard? How's the inventory handled? Uh, you know, I'm giving sort of a small examples, but it was like no one had started to provide solutions to clients, and that's I, I was shocked. I thought, well, this is just a fantastic opportunity. It's going to take a lot of work on our end to help them and try and improve. People's positions, but more about it's more really about clients were getting told, oh, this is why you're getting charged X amount of premium. But no one would tell them, okay, well, this is how you try and improve it. And, and sometimes it might take a, you know, a year, two, or maybe even three years to actually implement some of those changes that are needed to improve your insurance program for a variety of reasons from a, a cultural reasons, from an actual resources that are available. But yeah, I, I just I saw that there was an opportunity for an industry that not uh, you know that doesn't have people helping them out or, or trying to help them out um, and provide solutions. And so we're still working on that, we're still working on uh resources that we can provide. But essentially when a client comes to us, I say, okay, well, here's a, a long list of, of of requirements that insurance carriers like to see. Let me know which ones you have, and these are the ones that we could start maybe you know improving or working towards. And some of them are very, they don't cost a lot of money per se. Maybe it's, you know, writing up some more formal uh, risk management policies and procedures so that an underwriter can see, okay, they're taking it seriously. Um, we're not asking you to, you know, buy new equipment or anything like that. You know, some that don't have uh, proper combustible dust systems in place, it's definitely a consideration that they should be looking at. But, you know, first of all would be simple things like, you know, do you have your hot works policies and procedures formally written down? Is it followed? Are there no smoking policies or, you know, what does that no smoking policy look like? You know, fire suppression, impairment notices. Do you have that written up? Do you have a business continuity plan written up before, you know, if there was a big fire loss or how are you gonna uh, generate revenue and keep the business going if anything used to happen? So I, I think there's, um, arguably it's probably a balance of two. Right. It should be, you know, the owner's gonna to have to take a, you know, responsibility and ownership of that um to get that implemented and done. But it's also, I feel, on part of the broker to be able to help them with solutions and try and improve their insurance program. At the end of the day, that's what we're here to do and try and offer a service and offer some value. So I think we've just seen it as a, as an opportunity within the market, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me. And let's let's like pull out some real. Examples. We'll talk about this case study a bit, but I just want to highlight the, <laughs> you sort of said it from the front. It's like, oh, my insurance premiums went up or we're, we've had an incident. now we're like, what are, and the thing is you have options, and like double exclamation mark. Like there are, there are places to, to go and people that can help you sort that out. And so I kind of want to dig into those. So you mentioned a couple of these, I don't know what we're calling them, strategies. Let's call them strategies for now. And this is, I took some from the wood products manufacturer, three ways to reduce your insurance premiums, case study that you sent through. And again, we'll have links to that in the show notes and you can find that on Capri CMW's website. But I have a couple here. So housekeeping, onboarding of employees is a really great one that ties into the training, or is the train, part of the training. Um, hot work, business continuity plan. What other kind of things um, are you commonly seeing that, that folks don't have in place that are some of these, you know, Well, we'll say the the easy ones, you know, people can get done quickly. And then maybe even some of the longer term suggestions as well. What what do those look like? So uh, really,
1: all of those items you just mentioned there are getting presented to insurance carriers to put the insurance carriers at ease that this is a good risk. One of the big things, and we find it's really important, not just from insurance carriers, but also for the business itself to have this is to have an independent risk report or risk engineering report done. And we would say they need to be done, uh, well, insurance carriers, sorry, say they need to be done every three years, at least every three years. And what that is, is we have independent risk engineers. We partner with three uh, specific engineering companies that have specialists within wood product manufacturers, uh, that space that will come out and they'll be independent, They are not on retainer with any insurance company. They don't have any affiliation with any of the insurance companies. And so what they're really doing is coming in as an independent third party, having a look at the operation as it is right now and seeing whether or not you're compliant with all the NFPA standards and regulations that are there. Any of the, uh, what we say is sort of good um, risk management standards and practices, whether or not you're meeting the uh, National Fire Code of Canada as well. And, and they'll present that back to you with recommendations that they would suggest that these need to get done on a on a scale of high risk and needs to get done essentially now. And that is probably one of the most uh, important things we find, first of all, for insurance carriers to review and, and have a look at, but also uh, nice for... Uh, businesses to have that and and those recommendations will be things that they can work towards throughout the year and that could be you know more often than not it's normally documentation it, you know we had just done two risk engineering reports one on a pallet manufacturer and then one on a uh, on a, a reman facility this year and they've both come back with they don't have a formal combustible wood dust management policy in place at the moment it's not to say that they're not doing it but it's just not there formally there's some of them one of the other ones didn't have a uh, a formal no smoking policy in place while they said there's no smoking on site having something documented formal that we can present to an insurance carrier i think is very important from a housekeeping perspective this seems to be pretty standard yes we have a cleanup crew of three or four people that will come into the site on the weekend and they'll They'll do the cleanup. That's great saying it, but is there a checklist anywhere? Has it been documented? Where is it documented? Can we go back and have a look over the course of a year on on um, how compliant staff are or employees are at making sure that it is done? Are photos being taken of a daily, weekly uh, in terms of looking at the the dust levels that they have on the site? And so those are, I guess, some of the the items that we would suggest that. The clients would want to look at or start looking at uh, implementing at their facility, so that they can uh, start to improve the insurance, the insurance premiums. And sometimes, you know, insurance tends to never be the at the forefront of people's minds. It seems to be a month or two out before renewal it becomes um, important, or if there's a significant loss, then it becomes important and. I, th- I guess what we're trying to do is probably more of a uh, not just insurance, but trying to potentially change people's culture and uh, their operations, which is a challenge. You know, you we're know, with, with, with slowly building trust with our clients, and we we try to have them for the long term so that it helps build that trust, and they'll uh, see us as more advisors and people that are independent that can come in and, and suggest certain certain things that will will improve the operation. Um, we, we you know by no means am i uh, an expert within that but i do know exactly what um insurance carriers are looking for and potentially things that will help with the operation as well so yeah there's a you know the onboarding of employees is is another important an item that insurance carriers like to look at they might look at what are your hr hiring uh, you know policies are you just hiring anyone and everyone or you know are you doing background reference checks are you um you know, put them through a formal program. We have some companies out there that have graduate programs for their employees that they will come in, they'll work with different areas of uh, of the operations. And that just looks fantastic because they become very familiar with all the hazards and the risks, not just within their one area, but a- across the whole operation. So yeah, those are some of the items and, and they don't happen overnight. Unfortunately, they do take time. Some of these are quick fixes. Some of them are, are long-term plans, but really uh, being open am willing to to make changes. I think is probably the most important thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like that point about being there to support the culture development, and it, it kind of stems from the, the roots, the the backstory they mentioned. You know, you started working with a couple of small sites that had 50 percent, 100 percent increases in their their premiums, and 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 you ask, you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> At that moment, when you get a, a response of blank stare eyes, there's an opportunity there to help develop foster drive, and I can see that you know company by company as Capri CMW and as the work you're doing gets in at those earlier stages to help folks you know, address these challenges, it, it just kind of grows on itself and comes, especially if you can tie it to the bottom line. So you're saving on premiums and you're saving on having a better policy. A couple of pieces I pulled out of this discussion on some of these strategies um, that I just want to highlight or expand on. The first one is this independent risk report Would a dust hazard analysis as sort of typically defined as part of NFPA 652 be, you know, if a a site does that, is is that something that would be sent as sort of this independent risk report to insurance carriers as part of this process? Or is this something kind of different than than that? Or is the answer sort of in a gray area?
1: If clients have a DHA, then absolutely fantastic. Uh, That's brilliant. But the risk engineering report covers uh, like a wide variety of aspects. It's not just looking at sort of housekeeping and dust management, but it will also be looking at other elements that they will add into that. So they might even, you know, our risk engineers will also provide them with building appraisals. So they will, you know, from from an insurance perspective, we're finding that a large amount of commercial property is significantly underinsured by let's say 40%. And then there's a loss. You're looking to, to rebuild and people are, you know, 40% underinsured is a bit of an issue. But these uh, risk reports they'll cover, yeah, it's not just looking at dust, it's looking at uh, other items. So, it, to give you an examples, they will have, they'll look at the, let's say, for example, the yard, yard storage, what is that looking like? Do you have six to 10 meters worth of space between uh, 10,000 square foot blocks of lumber stored there? They will look to see whether or not, you know, simple things such as light fixtures and fittings, are there any unbroken light fixtures or fittings, or are they all LED lights? We also would suggest having thermographic scans done as well as that as part of the risk engineering report. But they they do look at a, a wide variety of of items, To be honest with you, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of all of the items they do cover. For dust management, I think if you could have a DHA as well as a risk engineering report, that is almost like a best-in-class type of reports that we could provide to uh, the insurance
0: carriers. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that actually answers a couple of the other questions I was going to ask here, because um, I, I sort of highlighted four. So DHA, documenting your your management systems, with the key phrase on documenting. <laughs> it's hard to share what isn't isn't documented. Otherwise, it's just, oh yeah, we have Bob and, and Sally, and they come in and clean up, you know, every every once in a while. And then I had explosion prevention protection equipment and your combustible dust management program. I think I think what I'm hearing is those all sort of fit into an independent risk report, which a lot of the good providers of dust hazard analysis are going to include something similar for those hazards alone that are evaluated in the DHA. What I mean when I say that is is NFPA 652 requires the owner and operator to have an implementation plan, not just uh, something saying these are the hazards and and these are the corrections. We actually have some sort of implementation plan. Uh, That's the the next chapter after the chapter on DHAs in 652. And most good DHA providers will provide that in some sort of risk ranking matrix, some guidance on what to do first, second, third, and last, maybe some support period for how to do that. Those are all things that would tie into actually implementing the, the findings of DHA, and that should also include your management systems, your exposure protection prevention, your your combustible dust management plan.
1: I guess so. From the from the, the risk assessment as well, I probably should have mentioned this. They'll they'll look at the, you know simple things. They'll look at the building construction. So they'll look at the construction class of the building: wood frame, fire resistance, non combustible. They'll look at the dimensions, and they'll they'll have a, an aerial map that will be pulled out for uh, again that's useful to have for underwriters so they can see the distances between buildings and whatnot they'll look at uh, other things such as like uh, electrical systems lightning uh, sorry lighting (laughs) thermographic imaging reports plumbing heating systems all that type of stuff when was it last updated and then they'll look into more of the special hazards kind of they'll touch on the combustible dust collection systems policies and procedures and the other areas that they do look at then will be an in-depth look at the process kind of the occupancy description essentially from wood product manufacturers when lumber arrives at the yard to them when it leaves, what that process actually looks like and what it goes through. Um, a detailed description and understanding of that along with business interruption as well. So it, it does cover other items that maybe the DHA might not cover and uh, I don't know if that kind of helps maybe with a difference between the two.
0: Yeah, no, it, it certainly does. And I, let's put in context and kind of go through some actual numbers or a case study. Do you have something that we can sort of walk through to see, you know, put some of these these high-level ideas into, into a practical scenario? The,
1: the, the two examples we had from the success stories was uh, the difference between A and B, really. The, the first part, A, is the client had potentially been working with a broker that wasn't probably a specialist within the manufacturing space. And the other one was we were able to take advantage of, of the relationships that we have with certain insur- insurance carriers. So the first example was the client had, uh, it was a a $15 million property a facility manufacturing space. Uh, I think it's probably about 85,000 square foot, something on those lines. It was, their renewal was coming up um, and it was indicated it was looking at about two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 for all of their insurance. So that would include their property, the liability, the inventory or stock, and all the equipment that was in there. So we thought that potentially they might be getting overcharged. This facility was built in 2018, brand new sprinkler system that had been put in, and they were just moving into it, actually. So... Uh, fire resistive, um, steel and steel construction. It was a really good space. It wasn't packed in with buildings in and around it. It was it was almost, um, there, there wasn't a, any sort of forest firefighting exposure to it either. But how they had it set up, they had, I think it was uh, about six, or five or six different policies with five or six different insurance carriers at five or six different renewal dates, which can be very, inefficient uh, in terms of how the program and policy is gonna be set up. And uh, an example of this as well, that they had their inventory, which is their stock, covered on essentially two policies. They were actually doubled insured, which you never wanna be doubled insured because you you try and uh, navigate that loss amongst two different insurance carriers, neither of them will wanna pay out. Um, And they also didn't have any Business interruption coverage, which is um one of the probably one of the biggest areas that people undervalue in terms of an insurance product. And so we through the process of gathering all of the information, they provided us with all of their, you know, emergency response plans to any any flooding, if there was a fire or if there was an earthquake or anything like that, that there was going to happen, what they were going to be doing. So and they'd also have their contingency plan as well, formally written out, along with risk engineering reports along with their combustible wood dust management program, how they onboard their employees. We actually also got the clients on a call with the insurance carrier that we wanted to get that business written with. And you have to be a little bit uh, selective sometimes in terms of who are people, who are the people you want to put in front of an insurance carrier, because I think there's some people with a bit of a chip on their shoulder and might, might not present themselves in the right, right way. Um, But this client was fantastic, very open to all of the questions and and scrutiny that the underwriters asked in here about their operations and facility. And what that allowed us to do is, or or what allowed the insurance carriers to have, is just a level of comfort and ease that this is a well-managed facility, that it's someone that really takes the hazards and the exposures that a wood product manufacturing facility has very seriously. And they were, they essentially offered to cover everything uh, with increased limits and including business interruption coverage. The only thing that they didn't cover and we put them onto a stock throughput policy. And the reasons why is because we can take advantage of of having better and broader coverage at a better premium on a stock throughput policy. So that would be, I would say that was one, getting the client presented to insurance carriers in 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 a way that, uh, is favorable and and is in uh, you know put in a really good light, and then um, the client having all of the the documentation there available that we could just present to them. So that would be probably the the, the first example.
0: And I want to summarize a couple of pieces there because I think it's it's really good to see these kind of examples. They're very helpful for folks. Um, I've sent this particular case study out to um, a number of consultants already and said, hey, you know, here's some 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 educational material you can use for your own clients as well. So we have a, a company that started with uh, policies anywhere from 250 to 300,000. And the interesting point here is this is sounds like a, a best case scenario. They had already done a lot of what they need to do. They just weren't. one, they, they didn't know they had options. And two, they didn't have a company kind of hold their hand and say, "This is the best way to present this material to the insurance carriers." So you mentioned in the case study here, you know, the, the insurance carrier scrutinized risk management plan, dust management, yard storage, fire suppression, system maintenance, hot works permits, health and safety protocols. And at the end of the day, the, the new policy was uh, 200 to 220,000. So that's 60, 70,000, well, 50 to 70,000 reduction in premiums, higher limits, one broker instead of five, I think they started with and one stock policy and not redundant stock policies, which is a good point. If you have multiple carriers on a single item, when a loss occurs, then, then I think the way you wrote it in here is it can be tricky to messy to navigate who, who's actually going to, going to cover that. So in terms of raw numbers and yeah, you're talking about a premium savings anywhere, 60, $70,000 range, but also better coverage at the end of the day. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's a, that's a fair bit. That's um, 25% of the, the, the policy. Plus better coverage at the end of the day.
1: We found that a lot of people will look at the numbers and they kind of get fixated on those numbers uh, in terms of the premium. I did. And what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is great. But I mean, from from when they're not getting, when clients aren't being told there's potential solutions to save premiums in ways that are going to benefit them. That's something new to people, Uh, essentially how people have saved money in the past have been increasing the deductibles and deductibles essentially is how much you're going to take of a risk. So if you have a million dollar loss, there could be a hundred thousand dollar deductible. You're responsible for that hundred thousand dollar deductible. So I've seen people that have got between five hundred thousand dollar deductibles all the way up to over a million dollar deductible on some risks. And they've done that in the safe, you know, the hope that they can save some premium. The other options that people have done, and sometimes this is this is right. They'll insure their property on what they call an actual cash value basis or a depreciated basis, rather than a replacement cost. So essentially, you're saying an actual cash value basis is what you can pick up. We just say everything you can pick up at auction or secondhand rather than buying it new which some people that have uh, you know a a mill that's very old which they are financially stable enough that if that does go down then no problem they're looking to build a new place anyway and just take the actual cash value and rebuild but some people uh, are doing that just solely to save on an insurance premium and then if there's a loss that happens that's where they find that they're not able to rebuild to the size and the scale that they once once were so there's the reason why we're trying to present these risk management options is because they're better than having a really high deductible or uh, choosing to uh, insure on actual cash value so i've actually had people say that they don't carry any insurance whatsoever on their property which is even scarier to think but um, that's their risk and i think i, I don't think they really they they haven't had a loss. They don't understand that, uh, you know, the cost and the stress that it would go through for them to to try and get going again would be, well, pretty much impossible at that point.
0: Yeah, and I think it ties into something we talked about in the the sort of introduction of the the outset, where some of these large losses is demonstrating it, itself as an increase in financial risk to the insurance companies. Which then is what's kind of driving the change in behavior and, and sort of exposing the parts of the market that you're operating in where you're you're doing much more hand holding and development of culture and 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 that. But the 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 reason I say that is the the losses are happening. That's the point I wanna make there. <laughs> um, it's not like it's not they're not happening. And you 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 said something I wrote down early when you're talking. You've said a lot of things that I've just jotted down, and we're not gonna be able to get through all of them in this podcast episode. But you mentioned 2012, and we talked about it a bit, um, quite a bit. But you also you kind of snuck in there many other losses since then. And I was just on a call last week, and with a, a committee, and we're we're discussing it, and and there are a lot of folks from British Columbia there, and they said, yeah, not, not, there's there's been no explosion since 2012. <laughs> and and you know we run the incident database, so we we know that's not true. The public news account also knows that's not true. But not to the actual degree, and the insurance carriers themselves, and then yourself who works with them, no, to the bigger degree. And the answer is just what you said. <laughs> there's been many other losses since 2012. So just because, and it's the same, you know, you could say the same thing about Imperial Sugar or Didi Milling, or there's there's uh, the, the big. I don't call it blockbuster because that doesn't do justice to the lives lost and people impacted. But, you know, the, the big events that, that really increase lead to a, a big drive in, in attention to combustible dust. It's not like nothing's happening in the middle <laughs> between these, these large events. Uh, it, it's a steady increase of uh, a wreckage of, of families and, and communities and that. So that's when I think about the, insur- the pressure being put on insurance companies in terms of their financial loss, that's, that's illustrative of this. There's been many other losses since then even if we're not hearing about them from a public perspective, even if we're not capturing them in our database, which is only maybe 25, 20% of what's actually happening in North America and fractions of a percent in in, in most other countries in the world, they're still happening every day. So my my whole point there was to emphasize that <laughs> there have been many losses since 2012 in Canada and, and that that is a key driver here.
1: Oh yeah, I would also add that WorkSafe BC had you know they were the ones that handled the 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 explosions that happened back in twenty twelve and uh you know there's individuals that have been on your podcast that have talked about that and and how it had been handled, and the Lisa helps report that came out in terms of how worksafe b c handled it and what they should be doing to improve things and you know what if you were to have a look at worksafe b c now, they're really raising the standard for what would product manufacturers are uh, their operations are like and if you if you want you know it's it's openly available you can go onto worksafe bc and you can look at the penalties and the fines that wood product manufacturers are getting issued now and the reasons why they're getting issued and these fines are again pretty steep I'll give you an example I won't tell the names of the companies but you know in as of you know January this year uh, sorry last year uh, some a company got fine fines 700 That's right, six hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars because they failed to ensure its combustible wood dust management program was followed. You see that all you know accumulations of primary and secondary wood dust in in multiple locations. A fine for another company, three hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. Subcontractor was uh, potentially not following any um, hot works policies and procedures outlined by the company. Another fine, six hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. So they're trying to raise awareness in and around it that there's a lot of companies that are out there are essentially uh you know you know an accident kind of waiting waiting to hack them in, in, in some of these places. And so the the fines are increasing. And I'm I'm sure there's going to be a million dollar fine probably in the next two years or something for someone. But you know the the same sort of issues are, are still out and about. Uh, and WorkSafe PC is trying hard to to try and highlight that and, and and spread some more awareness that, you know, that, that, you know, what some companies are doing might not necessarily be be right or, or they're, they're, you know, they're they're lacking in certain areas and they just don't want to have another incident, like, like the ones that happened in 2012, like you mentioned, those kind of big events, uh, which kind of capture the headlines, but
0: yeah. And I I think, so we're, we're now going off to sort of some philosophical land, but hopefully it is is helpful for folks. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more to the philosophical side, <laughs> and I'll try to bring it back. Um, and it, it's it's ties into the reason why I I think the premium discussion is important. Um, and I'm gonna use it as justification to 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 say the premium numbers in your other case study. <laughs> but the justification for me is I read this PSM book, this process safety management book, a while back, and it had this definition of process safety efficiency. I think it called it. And it had nothing to do with uh, what I'm going to explain here, but the, the, the concept sort of resonated with me. I wrote a bunch of notes on the page that had this. And so process safety efficiency, as I'm defining it, not as this book, but I saw this term and thought of it is the return from your process safety program divided by your process safety investment. Your process safety investment's easy. That's how much you spent. That's your DHA costs plus your valuation costs plus your ongoing costs of maintaining the equipment associated with your combustible dust management program cost, expense, cost, expense. People don't believe or see any of the process safety return. And, and our goal is Dust Safety Science, and we talked about this um, internally with my team, is we've highlighted this a couple of our vision strategy planning meetings where if we can ever prove that process safety efficiency is greater than one, so the return is greater than the investment, um, not just in lives and, 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 and community impact and longevity of a company and brand, these intangible things, but intangible real dollars, then, then we've solved the problem. <laughs> or at least then selling safety becomes much of an easier proposition. So when you talk about fines of of tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars and insurance premium reductions in the tens of thousands of dollars, and you know, operational efficiencies from investing in some of these equipment, you actually start to get some of this process safety return in, which is the Numerator. <laughs> I have a PhD in, in pretty high, <laughs> highly complex math. I can't remember what the what the fractions are, but the the numerator, uh, yeah, the, num- the numerator in that fraction. Yeah. Um, then, then we're getting somewhere. So the more we can kind of dig those out, and, and we have talked with Chris Justo on the podcast from ICS a bit about this, where he talks about your return on investment of, of a dust hazard analysis. Um, so that's why I'm kind of collecting up these tidbits of information to try to build the. numerator. I hope it is the numerator for this is, is this concept. So I haven't really talked about that publicly. Um, I guess now I have, uh, but that's why. And so I'll, I'll, with that as background, (laughs) I'll read the other, the other statement from this three ways to reduce your insurance premiums, even if it, it, even if it does make you cringe a bit, because people are just thinking about the numbers, but does have an example here says for a $4.5 million building, um, without a three year risk report documentation or risk management or housekeeping, the premium would likely fall in the $90,000 range. Again, these are round numbers, just a, as an example. Um, with a three-year risk report, with documentation, with excellent housekeeping, premium might lie somewhere around $67,000. So you're looking at um, third-party risk report. Now the recommended risk items may cost ten dollars to $15,000 annually with a savings of $22,000 per year. So in my mind, if you, if you put a bubble around just that one statement, that is a process safety efficiency greater than one, and it's an obvious area. Well, I guess you can get into the business justification, whether or not you have other investments that can return whatever that numerator and denominator come out to be. But just having a better than one and then tying in brand and then in tying in community impact, then tying in effect on workers and morale and all of that, um, it just becomes an easier sale. So like, that's my argument for why I'm trying to collect numerators. Hopefully that, <laughs> that helps with, with things.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Like I, I think there's a a big issue is that people aren't getting presented to insurance carriers correctly. That's probably one of the biggest things. If you can present yourself uh, accurately, and there's a lot of people that are out there are doing all of the items that we mentioned before—hot works and non-smoking policies—or you know, all of those type of items are probably being done, but they're not being formally documented or written down anywhere that you can share that. Because if it's not documented, then they don't really know what's going on. So that would be, you know, the first step, and then the second step would just be improving everything because I. If you haven't been presented accurately to an insurance carrier, they're just going to overcharge because they don't know what the risk is. If you can present the risk accurately, then at least they can understand it a little bit better. And those numbers, you know, simple risk report, you know, if it comes back with 20 recommendations that they're not following anything, then that might not look favorable. But someone that's doing a risk report is probably a little bit more forward thinking and wanting to uh, change things and for it to get better. So that's something they can definitely work on over over the course of that year or two years or whatever it takes, but yeah, it's uh, in carriers of looking for those people that are willing to change and and uh, are looking to improve their operations.
0: We covered a lot of ground here. I just want to, so we, we went to the philosophical. Um, I want to bring it back around something really practical for the the listeners here. And what I'm thinking here is, um, say we have a facility, and and specifically here, I'm talking to the consultants that are listening to the podcast members of dust safety professionals, the people that are going in and helping people with their combustible dust challenges, when they see a company that's doing things right and, you know, that is at a point where where they either have a good culture in place or they're just about to make a transition to trying to change their culture towards safety. They've, you know, they've implemented the right programs. They have the procedures documented. Cause I know some of these companies and I've tried to ask some question about insurance and they just like blank stare. <laughs> but how at that stage, that consultant, how should they best talk to the company to sit i don't i mean i don't want everyone to listen to this go tell all their companies i gotta switch insurance carriers or even all of them to call will or anything like that but in a more general sense like those folks that are doing it right and work or working with companies that are doing it right that want to make change how should the conversation be handled in terms of moving them towards even recognize that they have choices from insurance and that there are better ways to present this information um any and i know that's a that's a that's a question would be nice to ponder before <laughs> you hear it and get some you know some textbook answers figured out. But uh, I I didn't think of it till halfway through the interview. So what what should folks do at that stage in terms of working with clients that that follow some of these and and, and try to educate them on what their options might be?
1: You know, I I, I go out to site every time a, a risk engineer will be at one of our clients' business because I want to learn as much as I possibly can from there and more often than not, you know, if I if I meet a risk engineer that I've not met before, they are wondering why I'm there. And um, they'll, we'll ask a few questions in around like, how does this help with insurance? And I, I don't think that maybe even some consultants out there actually understand that there is a. I I feel anyway, just from the experience that I've had within this area, that there's a direct correlation between, a, a, you know, a, a good clean report, and people's insurance premiums that they get. So are you finding that maybe some of the feedback from consultants out there is that people are getting pushback, uh clients are pushing back on on people coming out to the facility or 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 they they're not able to relay the value of of what having a DHA or a risk report is? Well,
0: well, maybe that might be happening, but I'm actually thinking of a very specific scenario. <laughs> I won't name the individual where I said. Take this case study and show it to your client. And the response was kind of like, Well, what we do is when we do a DHA, we say, you know, there's a possibility you may have reduced insurance premiums. And they sort of stepped a, sidestepped having a more direct conversation. And I was like, I had this process of safety efficiency in the back of my mind, like, no, you gotta take it and explain it to them. And 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 it's funny because they'll be listening to this podcast episode and they may know who they are. <laughs> hi <laughs> and, and call me later when you figure this out. This won't come out for a few months now. Mm-hmm. And, and in that moment I said, ah, oh, when we get Will on here, I need, if, if it all makes sense, I need to get him to explain for that person just to, to, it's like they're, they're right there. They have the ability to have a conversation or discuss it. And then they, they don't even think, no, I think they don't know what's possible. I don't think they have a choice uh, or that they think they have a choice. Now, I don't know, there may be a business pressure not to suggest anything to the, the client and to keep, the insurance side and the insurance side, but I, that's that's what the barrier I'm trying to break down with this podcast and having you on to share your, your knowledge in the area too.
1: It's a it's a difficult probably position or conversation for, for people to have anyway because people don't like to, to talk about insurance for, for a start, but this is where working, I, I don't want to, to keep beating the same drum, but working with a specialist insurance broker that works within the industry specifically that you're... Uh, that you that the business is in helps significantly. It's you know insurance brokers. You can't really have a generalist working on something like this. You need to really have someone that knows, first of all, which insurance carriers are going to take that on. How to uh, set the insurance program up so that it's going to work best for you and, and that you're going to get the best insurance premium. So it might be difficult if some if you're if you have a consultant that's going out to a client saying, Have you thought that maybe this potentially could help out with insurance or even having that conversation if the if the client doesn't have a good relationship with their current insurance broker or provider so that might it might be a little tricky to have those conversations but that's why we're we're trying to put out those success stories We're, we're trying to show that there is solutions there are better ways potentially of looking at it or um uh, at, at least, you know, may, it may not be a, a significant decrease in premium, but it might be a sig- significant increase in the coverage that they're they're getting. So, yeah, there there definitely are solutions that are out there. The the narrative that clients are being told is: you're high risk, high hazard. It's very difficult to place insurance. There's one or two carriers that you could go to. Here's your annual, like it or leave it, and that's. You know, when I have a conversation with the clients, that's what they're telling me. They're like, oh, I didn't know there was other options that are out there. I haven't been told to have a risk engineering report. I've never seen, you know, we like to share with clients. So this is how we're presenting you to an insurance carrier. Are you happy with that? And we'll show them all the work that we do. And I think that's, you know, people haven't had that before. If they haven't worked with specialists, you know, with product manufacturer groups.
0: I see, like if you if you broke your leg and go to the doctor and you have like a really kind of strange break it's a torsion and a pull and you know the bone sticking like bad stuff we'll say you don't really want the the surgeon not talking to the plastics the plastic surgeon and not talking to your family doc and and like all these barriers up between the the different providers that are all specialists in their area you'd really appreciate them talking to each other a bit not saying oh this is i, I only deal with with foot bones and that's an ankle so I kind of see it the same way. We can have this group approach to improving safety at a facility that includes the the engineering technical safety specialist, that includes insurance, that includes the regulators, and has this more you know collaborative approach. Where you can bring folks in, where the answer wouldn't necessarily be, I can't say that it won't imp- increase your insurance premiums. I have no clue. But instead, hey, maybe I can call somebody and they can tell us if there's any sort of direct you know correlation. Then, then getting that, and that's what they'll do at the hospital. I mean, then they'll 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 page the you know surgeon and say, "Is is this the right way to go right now? We're not you know we're not going into the OR yet, but should we give them this thing in case we might do that in the future?" I don't know. It, um, it's a it's a it's it's an analogy. I'm not sure if it's the best analogy, but uh,
1: <laughs> it's just like a it's having a collaborative approach for sure. It's not one you know one thing that's going to change it. You know, having you know, first of all, it really boils down to I'm sure you're you know be pushing this as much as as we are. It comes down to people that are open to change and and looking at different ways of doing things. Um, and if they are open to that, then absolutely fantastic, then we we can really help out and and do a good job for
0: them. Will any any other final words you want to leave folks on um, before we close over this episode of the podcast?
1: I think we've probably covered most things to be honest with you. I think the the biggest thing that's going to help people out is to from an insurer's perspective, is first of all working with a a specialist within that space. And then the other thing would be being open and to to potentially looking at the operations and uh, some of the items that you can implement and then formally writing up all of the good work that you're already doing. And then that's something that we can then share for insurance carriers. But yeah, I, I think that's probably my 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 final words. I think as long as we, if we can improve the industry as a whole and, and reduce the amount of losses, then that's another way your insurance premiums are going to be coming down. And uh, that's going to be good for everyone.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, thank you, Will. I, I have a feeling this may not be the last time we get you on the podcast. So I appreciate the efforts and the work that you're doing um, in British Columbia and beyond um, and the, the work that you and your team are doing. Well, thanks for the time, Chris. Thanks, Will. We'll be talking soon. Okay. So even listen to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Will Downing, commercial risk advisor for Capri CMW, and he's based out of Kelowna, British Columbia. we were talking about insurance considerations and in facilities handling or generating combustible dust. It's been a really interesting discussion. We went from you know, listing requirements through to philosophical debates on process safety and Uh, Fractions there for a bit (laughs) and and all kinds of good stuff. We talked through Will's background in industries handling combustible dust, working as an insurance broker that's working sort of the intermediary between the insurance providers and and the the companies that they're insuring. We talked about some of the drivers in BC in particular in terms of combustible dust. These two loss incidents in 2012, which we covered before on the podcast um, a number of times. The large expenses occurred to the insurance industry from large loss incidents like this and how this is driving up premiums, making coverage more difficult, making uh, policies different and kind of changing over time, which has a direct impact on the, the users that are using this insurance. And, and Will made a really interesting statement through the discussion here where he said the, the underwriters found that they were taking on risks that weren't really managed well enough. And then I think everything really stems out of that. You know, we had a big discussion. Okay, well, what does that mean, and and what else could be done to manage these risks better? We talked about housekeeping, onboarding employer, employers, hard work programs, business continuity plans, doing this uh, you know risk reporting every three years, just compliance with local codes and standards, compliance with best practices. Uh, we sort of broke it down to three things. You know, we talked about dust hazard analysis a bit, just documentation of what you're already doing and documentation of your management systems across the board really helps, exposure protection, prevention, combustible dust management plan. And this really tied into an observation that Will had early in his you know, work in British Columbia where he would talk with owners of, of these small mills and small wood processing facilities and they'd just say, you know, my insurance went up and if 25, 50, 100% and and Will would ask what they're going to do about it and, and it's just blank stares. And they, they didn't really realize that they had options, especially if they're implementing some of these things they have two options they can you know implement better systems and protect from vessel dust and then tell that story in a better way to the insurance providers but if they're already doing a lot of these things as well then it might just be a challenge of not presenting that information in the best light and it sounds like that's a lot of what Will's doing in his, his job every day we walked through some case studies gave some very specific numbers I will not repeat the numbers here they're in the, the episode one because I didn't write them down and two because uh, Will did mention that the numbers tend to detract from the other things that you're getting in terms of increased policies, better coverage. Um, the one that came up was business continuity. And, and all, I'm not an insurance guy, so I don't know ex- exactly what that term precisely means. You might need to read your insurance um, documentation, or maybe I need to read mine. But what I'm trying to point here is that the loss from a large scale explosion event. In terms of dollars to your facility, is going to be the shutdown cost for most facilities. That business continuity piece of not being able to make product, or of losing feedstock, or recuperating that, um, or you know rebuilding—those are all things that tie into generally much larger than the dollar loss on day zero when that incident happens. And I think business continuity applies to at least some of that. Um, so you know, not having that coverage is is a real risk to, to facilities that don't have it. Uh, so we talked through a bunch of case study material and then we circled back to this philosophical question. I went some some deep conversation on process safety efficiency and process safety investment and process safety return that I'm not going to necessarily uh, redo here. But it was a really interesting discussion to have from a perspective of insurance carrier. And the last thing I want to leave off on this episode is this last statement that I was going to say here because um, I think it opened up another can of worms and I didn't want to end up this being too long. But the statement i going to make is that if Before this conversation, before meeting Will, insurance in my mind was like one way. They were an AHJ and they either said, nope, the facility's got to do something or, yep, we're happy. If they say, yep, we're happy, nothing happens. And if they say, nope, you need a DHA or you need a housekeeping plan or you need something and then then that gets implemented because there's no other choice. And that's where sort of the black and white unidirectional approach that I think is perceived in industry today. I hear from consultants through dusty Professionals all the time that, and we even get requests for industry professionals of people say, my insurance carrier said I have to do this. Who's the best person to, to do it? And that's where we connect them through. That one way unilateral flow of information um, is some of the barriers that we're trying to break with this podcast episode and some of the things that Will is doing where it's like, no, you do have options. You can present the information the right way. There are real dollar value effects of investing in your process safety and doing risk assessments and doing risk analysis and implementing a combustible less safety plan and that can actually either be a two-way conversation or even the things you do at your facility drives the insurance um, aspects at, at some of the day. So that was sort of the last comment that I wanted to leave off on was hopefully we can start to break this down and we touched on a bit with having more collaborative approach overall, which I, I think is going to end up with safer facilities, lower premiums, and at the end of the day, this higher process safety efficiency if we can ever figure out how to define that term. So we're going to leave it at that for this week on the podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, whatever your role you're playing with those industries um, and the work that you do.